Chelsea, but I got good news for you. Um, we're going to be moving to a new location. And, uh, amen. It is, uh, it, the Lord has, as I told you, we will not go anywhere unless the Lord directs. And the Lord has made it very, very clear to us in a lot of different ways where our next step is. It is not a permanent location that we would obviously bring to you. Uh, but we are moving to just down the road to Amity Elementary School. And we are excited for very many, many reasons. Um, we will have that entire facility to ourselves up until as late as 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We will have no more time constraints. We will have no more movie watchers coming in on top of us. It is a $25 million renovated building. It is the best building in Deer Park. Yes. It is in the heart of the community in which God has placed us to serve and minister to those people. Yes. And God has opened the door unbelievable for us. The children will be safer. There will be nobody coming in that building that's not there for church purposes. They, uh, it will, we could grow as much as in just one service. It will, the gym itself will seat a thousand people. Um, you, it is everything as state of the art as state of the art can be. $25 million renovation project roughly two years ago. And uh, it is 0.8 miles from here. It is the three-minute drive around the corner right on Galbraith Road. It is in the heart of where we are, where God has called us to be, and where God has placed us. Um, we got comments from leadership and school, whether it be from someone from the school board or whether it be in someone in the form of leadership and the school system itself, that there's nobody anywhere we'd rather rent to than you. And we're so happy and delighted that you're coming to our school. How cool is that? Yes. That's a miracle. Yes. Amen. That is a miracle. Praise God. We can be able to do things that will help us a lot now. We can do like connecting point right after service. Just have lunch there. There's, there's a million different things that we can do. I can't wait for some of you to see the facilities. When I say state of the art, I mean state of the art. It is un. Believable. The children's area is fascinating. Uh, we're going to be in the gymnasium, and we've got uh, some folks that are helping us working behind the scenes to prepare for that. But uh, this is an exciting thing, folks. Yes. Uh, they're excited we're there. We do a lot of ministry through that school, and it's going to be an obvious transition for us to be able to get some of those folks to cross on over on Sundays with us. Amen? Amen. Uh, I'm not at liberty to disclose exact figures, but our rent is going to be uh, much less than what it even is here at the theater. So it's uh, God, God's working everywhere. Uh, the, uh, we're going to be able to have signage by the road. We're going to be able to have all kinds of stuff. And uh, this is so, so good for our church. And I'm very excited. God has made it clear. I can, with peace and excitement, stand before you as your pastor and say, myself and the elders... Uh, two words come to mind, excitement and peace. And you know God's in something with that, amen? And a lot of folks went out last week, and we did some measuring this, that, and the other for the behind-the-scenes stuff. So our last Sunday here on this campus will be March 29th. Our first Sunday at the new location will be April the 5th. And that's going to be what we call a soft launch. So there's some cards that are going to pass around. If you will, those of you that are doing that, if you'll start passing those around right now, that will be wonderful. Um, as I said, it's 0.8 miles from here. It's a three-minute drive depending on a traffic light. It's around the corner. But here's what I'm going to ask for you to do. I know they're passing those out, but everybody can I have your attention for just one second. 
You'll never, ever, probably ever hear me in the life of me pastoring here say this again. But on April 5th, I'm asking you to invite no one to church. I want you to come. But we don't want you to invite your neighbor on that Sunday. Here's why. Because we're going to be able to get in on that Saturday, April 4th. And we're going to be able to set up and tear down. And it's going to be new for us. We are portable, so we're used to it. It's not going to be a slap, splash in our face. But there, it's different. So we're going to go in there on a Saturday. We're going to figure out a lot of the do's and don'ts. And we've got some help coming for that. Then on that Sunday, we're going to do it. And we know that if we don't get everything just perfect for you, that you're still going to love us and you're still going to come back the following week. <laughs> what we don't want to fall on our face or have problems while visitors are there. Amen? So we're going to ask you... Not to invite anybody on the first Sunday in April. So, when am I asking you not to invite anybody to church? April 5th. April 5th. But, the next Sunday is Easter Sunday. And we have strategically done that on purpose. We're going to be just land blasting this whole area about come to Bridge of Hope's grand opening on Easter Sunday. I'm praying and believing for 750. That's when I want you to invite 150 of your closest friends. Amen? Yes. Praise God. So April 5th, don't invite anybody. In fact, if they say, hey, I'd like to go to church with you, say, not this Sunday, come next. Amen. Just be nice one. It'll be okay. Praise God. So we're going to have a move of God. We're going we're gonna to preach the word. We're going to worship. But we're going to make sure we got everything together because the next Sunday is Easter and we're going to be expecting a huge crowd and believing for that. That's when we want you to invite a thousand of your closest neighbors and friends. Amen. So this is very exciting. You have a card here with a map of where it's going to be. Obviously, we're going to be talking about this as time goes on. But man, what an exciting, <coughs> excuse me, what an exciting, exciting time for us. Yes. I'm excited because I know God has moved us there. I know a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff that I can't get in here to tell you about. The theater is aware. We're very grateful for our time here. The, the theater has been nothing but gracious and helpful to us. They have been awesome. And so if you see, like the manager around the next couple of months, hey, shake their hand, hug their neck, tell them thank you, because they really have made things very easy on us when they could have made it very difficult on us. And they've been a blessing to us. So I want to thank the theater. I really do. And I know they can't hear us, but let's give them a hand clap anyway. Because God is used to us. And we've had a good two and a half years here. Now we're going into a place where parents and students and people are used to going into that building. It'd be very easy. Churches have figured out now that it's a lot easier to get them into a public building where they're used to going than into an actual church building. So... One day we'll have the permanent location, but I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, this is God. God's in this, and I am very, very excited. Amen? Glory to God. Can we give God praise? Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. I know God is doing some really awesome things this year. Well, as she said with baptism, we're baptizing 17 people in water today. That is phenomenal. Man, that is incredible. Amen. So before I get into the word today, last week we talked about uh, the person of the Holy Spirit. We, we talked about who is the Holy Spirit. Well, we, we determined he's God, right? God the Father is in heaven. Jesus is in heaven. Well, who's the God on earth? The Holy Spirit is, right? So he's God. We see the Trinity. 
at the water baptism of Jesus Christ. He came up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. Yes. And the Father audibly spoke, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So we've yes. seen that. Why do we call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, that word baptism comes uh, from a Greek word, baptizo, which means fully submerged, fully wet, fully under whatever that substance is. And in Matthew 3 and 11, John was speaking. He said, he, I, I'm, I'm not worthy to unloose Jesus' bootstraps, basically. And he said, he that is coming after me is mightier than I. And he said, he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, right? So he will baptize us with his spirit. So that's why we call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So why should a person be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus was filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. His mother, his brothers, and his disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a gift given to us by God the Father. Amen? Amen. So having said that, just in a little recap, I want you now, before I go any further, because I realize that when we teach about the Holy Spirit, sometimes the teaching of the Holy Spirit goes beyond our tradition. It goes beyond what we were brought up as. Maybe we were brought up in a non-Pentecostal faith or any other kind of faith. And, and, you know, we didn't hear about the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. We don't understand what that is. I, I'm there. I was raised in a Baptist church when we went. I can promise you we were not taught any of this. And so me coming into the faith and becoming a Christian, and then my mom found she became spirit-filled and speaking in tongues, and she started going to a Pentecostal church and then got me to go. And I can remember my whole first feelings about it and all, but I realized there was something more. And that's when I began to pray and say, God, fill me with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And that's when God did that for me. So if the, the teaching of the Holy Spirit or speaking in tongues is new to you, I'm there. I was not raised in a Pentecostal church. I was not brought up understanding this teaching. So I'm there, but I'm telling you, he is, he is a beautiful person that you want in your life. Somebody say amen. amen. So last week we talked about wanting the Holy Spirit. I had somebody tell me, well, I want the Holy Spirit, but I don't know how to receive. And I said, well, if you're in good shape then, good news, because this week we're going to talk about that. Amen? So how many want, want the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life? I mean, you just want God to fill you. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do for the next few moments, no matter what your background is, even if you were raised Pentecostal, in the next few moments today and the coming weeks, I want you to look at the scriptures and the teaching as if you've never seen them before. I want you to see with your eyes what the Bible says. Do we still believe the Bible? Yes. I want you to see for your own eyes what the Bible has to say. Amen. See it with fresh eyes and different eyes. So having said that, if you'll stand up to your feet for the reading of God's word, don't forget version. Uh, version uh, app. You can turn there. You can make notes and so forth. All right. The title of the message is uh, the Holy Spirit is the difference maker. Poke your neighbor and say he's the difference maker. We've already heard he's the way maker. Now we're going to hear he's the difference maker. Amen? So, John chapter 14. If everybody will turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. That's where we're going to come from. The Bible says in verses 12 through 14. And then we're going to go 15 through 17. And then 26 and 27. But John chapter 14. This is Jesus speaking. This is him speaking uh, after communion. The last supper. This is one of the last things that he teaches his disciples. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, they're probably thinking, what does that mean, like maybe some of you? 
And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's how we can be assured that we're healed. Amen. Because that's God's will. And we ask, we receive. Amen. If we love him, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father. And he shall give you another comforter. Everybody say comforter. comforter. That he may abide with you forever. So does he ever leave us? No. Even the spirit of truth. He's given us a clue as to who this is. Whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be where? In you. In you. The Holy Spirit in you. So, verse 26, 27. But, there's that word again, the comforter. Everybody say comforter. Comforter. Now he tells us who it is. Which is the? Holy Spirit. Now, before I go any further, you're going to hear me refer to him as the Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost. Same person. And when we say ghost, I know in this time we, we tend to think Casper the ghost. We're not talking about Casper. We're talking about the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. So, which is the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus is speaking. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Which, by the way, this is free. I'm going to hit you later on in coming weeks with this. Bring all things to your remembrance. When I got right with God and Holly and I got married, uh, I used that scripture to God to help me remember my schoolwork, and I made straight A's after that. Woo. He'll bring all things to your remembrance. Now, I couldn't ask him to help me remember what I didn't study. But what I did study, he brought to my remembrance and made straight A's. This doesn't just work for spiritual stuff. It works in all your life. Yep. Yes. Whatsoever I have said to you, peace I leave with you. Aren't you glad Jesus led us with peace? My peace I give unto you. Twice he says he gives it to us. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Third time, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Father, I pray for the next few moments you help me, God, to make this so clear. I pray that make it so simple. God, give us fresh eyes to see your word and to hear your word like we've never heard it before. This morning, God, give us childlike faith to just simply believe what you say in your word. I pray anoint me to speak forth your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. And I pray, Father, let this seed fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hold your Bibles up and let's boldly declare, Father, Father today, today, this week, this by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only. Deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears. Anoint my heart. Anoint my spirit. My soul. My mind. And my body. To receive the truth of your word. Christ name I pray. Amen. Amen. High five two or three people as you're being seated. Shortly after Holly and I got married, we moved to Virginia where her father was a caretaker on the campground and had a campground van. I began to work for him over the summer and then we'd go back to school and had a cargo van and they sent me and another guy downtown to the courthouse in Roanoke, Virginia for some reason I can't remember. And I, he, we couldn't find parking so I said, hey, you just hop out and go up and get what we need and I'll sit here. And I'm sitting there and... It, the radio is just an AM radio station. There's a couple of channels. I, I don't want to do that. And I'm just sitting there kind of bored. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? 
And the Lord spoke to me and he said, well, why don't you talk to me? Well, I was kind of new walking with God. And I said, well, okay, you know, well, how do I do that? He said, well, just talk to me like you would anybody else. I said, okay, how you doing? You know, I mean, I don't know how you start conversations, right? And he blew me away. He said, I'm hurting. And the thought that God could hurt had never occurred to me before. And so I was stunned and I was kind of shocked. I mean, I could still remember this as if it was yesterday. And uh, I said, you're hurting. I said, you're God. Why would you be hurting? He said, because my people have abandoned me. Wow. And all of a sudden, I saw somebody coming down the sidewalk and my eyes went right to him. And it was as if I could see right through the outer shell of them into their spirit. And you could see they were just wandering through life. He said, just like that one right there. He is living life. He's existing just so he won't die. Wow. He doesn't have life. He's just existing, waiting to die. And if my people will come back to me, I'll give them life. And that began a journey with me of speaking with the Lord and the Lord showing me things and revealing to me things. See, the Holy Spirit is a he. It is not an it. There's so many people that refer to him, well, it, it, it. No, no. It's, he's a he. Amen. He is a person. Everybody shout, he's a person. And when we reject him... And when we abandon him, and when we walk away from him, he hurts. So many times in the church, people need comfort. They need, they need joy. They need, uh, they need hope. They need power. And the very person who brings those things to them, they will reject because of maybe a tradition. Maybe a church that said that the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues is not for today. Maybe a grandma or grandpa who said, watch those weird Pentecostals. We don't avoid those types of people. They're wacko. Listen again. If you see someone in a Pentecostal church like ours that's really weird, they'd be weird without the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Holy Spirit didn't make them weird. Amen? Is that okay? So if we need joy, sometimes we reject the Holy Spirit who brings us what? The fruit of joy. Amen. Same thing with peace. Same thing with the things that we need from God. So Colossians 1 27, you're going to hear this scripture a lot during this whole series. And I want you not to miss this series because I'm going to teach you things on the person of the Holy Spirit. I promise you probably have not heard other people teach. All right. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in where you, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit is simply the spirit of Jesus Christ. And he will send the Holy Spirit into our lives to help us. And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. Romans 8 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the what? Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So many times we will reject the very answer to the prayers in which we're needing so desperately to God to do in our lives. Amen? And, and here's, a, here's a thought. Um, if, if you sit down and, and, and let's say that, that, well, we are, for Christians, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And you sit down. Let's just say that Jesus was sitting beside you. What would you watch, listen to, or speak of if Jesus was sitting right next to you? Just fill in the blank, whatever it is. Or what would you not? What were some things you say, well, I probably wouldn't turn that on if I knew Jesus was right here. Yeah, I probably wouldn't say that about brother so-and-so if I knew Jesus was sitting here. There's just a, a different behavior we have. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And he can be hurt. And he can be grieved. We'll talk about that in coming weeks. 
But I remember a message by Catherine Coleman. Some of you old-time Pentecostals will know Catherine Coleman and who I'm talking about. Wonderful woman of God. She stood on a platform one day in an auditorium full of people and began to cry and weep. And she stopped the whole service and she said, Please, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He's all I've got. Don't run him off. Someone say amen. Amen. Some time back, the Associated Press carried this dispatch in Glasgow, Kentucky. Leslie Puckett, after struggling to start the car, lifted the hood and discovered that the motor was stolen. <laughs> Trying to live this life the way God wants us to, without the Holy Spirit, is just like trying to crank a car that doesn't have an engine. Yes. He is the power yes. that enables us to live this life, that will give us joy when we have discouragement and de depression, that will give us peace when we have anxiety, that will fill us with love when we have hatred. I'm telling you, He is the motor behind our walk with God. Someone say amen. Yes. And that leads me to point number one, and that is this. The Holy Spirit helps us. Everybody say help. help. How many of you want help? Amen. He is the helper. He is the comforter, the paracletos, which means advocate. He is there to provide help and aid. How many of you need help and aid? How many of you would like an advocate on your side? It's like a lawyer, right? You go before the judge. You have a lawyer on your side. They're there to help you. They're there to provide you aid. They're there to be a helper, a comforter, an advocate to speak in your behalf and help you through your situation. How many of you found that to be comforting? Amen. Amen. Why would we reject the very person who is there to give us the most help? That's right. He is our paraclete or our helper on earth. And I hear some people say, Pastor, I took spiritual gifts test. I just ain't got much to offer us. What do you mean you don't have much to offer? Well, my number one gift is help. How do you know what is that? Well, guess what? One third of the Godhead, his whole job is to do nothing but help. So if your number one spiritual gift or you're high on the list in help, guess what? You're right up there with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Quit looking down at how God's created you. That's right. He is called a comforter at least four times in the Bible in the, in the book of John. And in Acts 9.31 it says this. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking, so they had peace and were edified. They were built up. Edified is, a, is an old word which means basically to be built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit... They were multiplied. Comfort is paraclesis, which means called toward or to one side for help. I want to tell you, if you're in a season of testing and trials, he is there to help you. Amen. If you're in a season where you're suffering or have sorrow, he is there to help you. Yes. Webster defines comfort as to strengthen, to invigorate, to cheer, or enliven. In fact, Webster defines the word help as to aid, to assist, to lead, strength, or means towards effecting a purpose to help a man in his work. How many of you would like that in your life? Yes. Always. Amen. Somebody that will never go to sleep on you. Somebody that will never abandon you. Somebody that will be there no matter what you face. No matter how bad the phone call is. No matter how tough the challenge is. No matter what you're dealing with at work. With your family or in your personal life. Someone that will stay right there with you to help you. And I'm talking about the kind of help that comes from above. Somebody shout amen. amen. Who wouldn't want the Holy Spirit in their life? He helps our infirmities, Romans 8, 26 through 27, in the same way the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself 
intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. One translation, one commentary renders, but the Spirit himself intercedes on our behalf with sighs too deep for words. The Holy Spirit is our heavenly helper in this wicked world. And his help is invaluable. When you go to do something you shouldn't do, the Holy Spirit will say, eh. And he stops you from a mistake. The Holy Spirit, when you go to say something you shouldn't, you'll feel the Holy Spirit say, eh. And he helps us to stop saying some of the things that we say. And if you look and you say, well, you say an awful lot. Imagine how much worse without his help. Amen. Aren't you glad for the Holy Spirit in our life? So many times I have almost said something I shouldn't and the Holy Spirit stopped me. So many times I almost went to do something I wasn't supposed to and the Holy Spirit stopped me. He is invaluable to our walk with God. Amen. So we have understand that we need the Holy Spirit. But what do I have to do to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? That's the next question we're going to answer. So poke your neighbor and say, Pastor's about to answer that. There are four things that I can find in Scripture that are necessary to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, one, the first one is this. You must be saved. Everybody say, you got to be saved. Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have got to be saved. Matthew, 11, 3, Matthew 3 and verse 11 simply says that Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Listen, he will only baptize his children. You have got to be saved. It's really the only major prerequisite. The others kind of fall in line with if you're saved, you're hopefully going to live these out. So what's the second thing? You must pray or ask. It sounds simple, but how many of us don't ask? Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13 says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, what? Receives. And one who seeks, what? Finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be? Open. There's no ifs and there are no maybes in that. That's right. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will he give him a snake instead? Right? None of us would. Or if he asks an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then... Though you are evil, so God's telling us we're evil by nature, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? In other words, He says, you bunch of evil people down there on that earth, that's what He's saying. He says, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does God the Father know to give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? So if we ask, if, we, if we're saved and we ask, we're on a good track record here to get this thing, amen? To receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In order to ask, you must pray, and prayer is the key to everything. So, what's the next thing? You must obey. Everybody say obey. obey. Acts 5.32. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who... Obey. Wow. Did you know that according to Hebrews 5 and 9, that obedience is actually... Part of salvation, you give your life to Christ and you begin to obey His Word. 
It doesn't save you because then that'd be by works. It's only by the blood of Jesus and his grace that you're saved. But obedience must follow, right? When you're born again, you start obeying God and what he has to tell you to. Amen? Right. Deuteronomy 28 even talks about blessings for those that obey. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says to obey is better than sacrifice. You need not think you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit if you are willfully disobeying the word of God. Jesus is not going to fill you with the Holy Spirit in your life if it is full of willful sin and disobedience. One of the fastest ways that I've been able to personally lead people to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, praying with them, is to ask them to repent of their sins. And as soon as they do, I've watched it happen. They just begin to gush the speaking in tongues out of them. And I'll talk about that here in a minute. We need to obey. And then finally, as with anything else in the Bible, we must have faith. Galatians 3, 13, 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hung on a pole or on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith, everybody say by faith, by faith. we might receive the promise of the what? Spirit. How do you receive? By faith. You got to be saved. You got to pray and ask Him. You got to make sure you're walking in obedience. And you got to simply believe. The same faith that took you to get saved is the same faith that's going to take you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's that simple. Amen? Yeah. Somebody say a good amen. amen. It's through faith we receive. As a matter of fact, you can't receive anything in the kingdom of God without faith. Yeah. Everything is done through faith. You can't even please God without faith according to Hebrews 11 and 6. So here's the question that I next have and we're going to answer for the rest of our time. How do I know that I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit? How will I know that I have? What's the sign or the evidence? So, what is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, in the book of Acts, there are five recorded instances of people being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Three of the five explicitly say that they spoke in other tongues at the initial outpouring. So let's talk about that for just a moment. Because speaking in tongues is not the most important evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not the only evidence. But the question is, is it the initial evidence? So let's take a look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Now, this happened to the Jews 50 days approximately after the resurrection of Christ. So, this is the first mention of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Bible other than in Luke. Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. But the actual act of what was going on is the first time in the Scriptures we read about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Christ had promised the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, to his disciples and to the people. And they were to wait in Jerusalem until it happened. So, Simon Peter and the others, how did they know the Holy Spirit had arrived? Because they didn't see a figure come into the room. They didn't see another man walk into the room. They did not visualize someone else in the room, but they did hear the wind. They looked and over the top of everybody's head was tongues of fire and they all began to speak with other tongues. Now this is what's crucial. This combination was enough for Simon Peter to announce 
that Joel's prediction of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit had come. He heard the wind, they saw the cloven tongues of fire, and they began to speak with other tongues, and Simon Peter said, Hey, Joel prophesied, this is that which came. So watch what happens in Acts chapter 2, verse 16 through 18. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. So they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. That's important. Everybody say the Spirit gave the, Spirit the, utterance. the utterance. That means the Holy Spirit did it. See, we don't have to teach people to teach and talk in tongues. We don't have to help somebody. All we got to do is get them to believe and let the Holy Spirit do the work. Amen? Now, the Holy Spirit is not going to take your tongue and wag it like a puppet on a puppet string out of control and you'll have no control over it. If you're going to speak in tongues, you have to speak what you feel in your spirit trying to come out of you. That language you've never heard. Don't worry, you're not going to be in Walmart at the register and feel it coming on and go, Oh my gosh, i got to make a run for it. It's about to go. How do I know that? Because the scripture says in the New Testament, the spirit of a prophet is subject to the prophet himself. So if you go ahead and you just blurt out tongues and embarrass yourself, the Holy Spirit didn't get your tongue and do it with you, right? We have control over that. It's not just going to, you don't have to worry. You're not going to be at a family dinner and just to go crazy on you. So, but we will, at the initial outpouring, they spoke in other tongues when the Holy Spirit came down and they were baptized in his spirit. So, the second instance we find is in Acts chapter 10, verse 44 through 46. This was to the Gentiles, not the Jews, approximately eight years after the day of Pentecost. So, eight years goes by. Let's see if it winds up being about the same. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Yet again, they recognized that the Holy Spirit being poured out is tied to speaking in tongues. The initial outpouring. What about Acts chapter 19? Let's take a look. This is to the Ephesian believers approximately 21 to 25 years after the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. So we're talking years are going by. Does it work the same way? While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? The literal translation of this is, have you received the Holy Spirit when you believed? And leave this up for just a moment. The word believe there is the same word believe in John 3.16. And whoever believeth in him shall be saved, right? The word believeth means to trust. As a matter of fact, it means to commit to trust or to place your confidence in. The Hebrew word for trust, you're going to love this imagery, is of a baby laying back in the arms of their mother, sound asleep, and they never notice that the mother may be in the middle of a great storm. The mother is battling the storm and the baby lays sound asleep in the mother's arms. That's the Hebrew word for trusting God. 
He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed that trust like that baby in the mama's arms? They answered like the church I grew up in. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. How many of you can relate to what I'm saying? So Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. So he realizes, okay, these guys ain't even saved yet. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe, put that trust like a baby in the mama's arms in the midst of a great storm in the one coming after him, that's in Jesus. On hearing this, they obviously received Christ because they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, in just a few moments, when we pray, if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're going to lay hands on you just like we're reading the scriptures here. And the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So we find three of the five instances they specifically spoke in tongues. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I began to speak in tongues just like what you discover in the Bible. That's how I knew I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. How else would you know? I had one man, I laid my hands on him. He was brought up in a Baptist denomination and he said, you know, I, I believe, but I kind of don't, but I'm just going to believe the scriptures. Would you pray? And we started praying. I said, brother, I feel like you need to repent of your sins. And he said, okay. He repented. I said, all right, now receive you the Holy Spirit. Begin to speak as the Spirit gives you utterance. He started speaking in tongues and he looked at me and his eyes were about as big as softballs like he couldn't believe what was happening. And he was speaking in tongues and he was looking around like, well, sir, he didn't know how to handle it. He didn't know what to do. I said, brother, that's God talking through you. That's what speaking in tongues is. It's God speaking through you. That's a good thing. So what about the other two instances? Acts chapter 9, verse 17 and 18. Watch this. So Ananias departed and entered the house and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, you know he's a saved by now because he's calling him brother. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up, and he was baptized. So, he got baptized in the Holy Spirit here, but the Bible doesn't say one way or the other that he did not, did speak in tongues, or he did not. However, in, in Acts chapter 13, verse 9, here it goes, But Saul, who was known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. So, we know at the initial he received the Holy Spirit. We know according to Acts that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Did he speak in tongues? Well, the Bible doesn't say one way or the other at the initial, but it does say in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, it says, I thank God, Paul writing here, I speak in tongues more than you all. So Paul is celebrating the fact that he spoke in tongues. But the Bible never declares one way or the other at the initial time when he received the Holy Spirit. The word tongues is the same word here in other scriptures. So when did he speak in tongues? Well, logic and consistency of the Bible says this. He received the same way at the same time at the initial outpouring as everyone else did. Why can you say that, Pastor? Because it's called the law of first mention in the Bible. Yeah. The first time the Bible mentions something throughout the rest of scriptures, it is to be interpreted the exactly the same way unless scripture otherwise notes it. So the first outpouring was Acts 2. So watch this. The Bible never records that Paul was baptized in the Holy Spirit and he did not speak in tongues. And the fact that it doesn't explicitly say it lets us know that he probably and more likely than anything received the same way as at other times. We know he spoke in tongues. So let's look at the last uh, example. Acts chapter 8 verse 14 through 19. 
when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers, again, they're saved, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. I find it interesting that there are people, some people have a greater gift for leading people to the baptism of the Holy Spirit than other people. Obviously, in the Bible, it was that way, or they wouldn't have sent Peter and John to them. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. So, you can be saved, but not baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were new believers. The Holy Spirit, they hadn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. So, it's a different work of grace. So, watch this. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17 through 19. And Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was giving at the laying on of the apostles' hands, again, laying on of hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also the ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, very interesting what we're talking about here. They laid their hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them. Again, it doesn't say one way or the other that they did or they did not speak in tongues. But some sign or evidence was given because Simon wanted to buy it. Simon wanted to purchase the power of giving the Holy Spirit. Something caused him to want to purchase the gift of giving the Holy Spirit. If they had laid hands and nothing visible or audible happened, then would he have wanted to purchase it? I found some quotes that I greatly agree with from T.L. Lowry, a wonderful man of God who's gone to be with the Lord, who did many mighty things for God. Here's what he said. What did Simon see that so impressed him? Because he saw miracles performed but offered no money to receive the gift of miracles. He saw great healings but offered no money to receive the gift of healing. He saw demons cast out but offered no money to receive that gift. He saw faith, wisdom, knowledge, and lame delivered, and great joy filled the whole city, but offered no money for these gifts. So he's seeing all the miracles of God. He's saying, but he's not offering money for that. What did Simon see? There was obviously, clearly, some outward evidence that believers had received the Holy Spirit that impressed and intrigued him beyond all else. Taking the other book of Acts accounts of persons receiving the Holy Spirit, I find one obvious answer they spoke in tongues again logic and consistency of the bible says they received the same way at the same time at the initial outpouring in their life as everyone else did and spoke with other tongues it seems to me if it was different the bible would have recorded it and said it happened this way the fact that the bible doesn't explicitly say it pulls us back to the law of first mention and says every other way it happened that way it's happened just like that for them as well amen so therefore it is consistent with the other instances so last question and we're going to pray how do I know if I've been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Again, let's read T.L. Lowry's great quote here. Speaking in tongues is the logical sign, for it is clearly discernible to the believer and for those who witness the infilling that the Holy Spirit has come. It transforms the filling experience to a knowable, observable, dateable experience manifest in time and in space. And you may be here and you may say, well, pastor, do I got to speak in tongues? I would tell you, no, you get to speak in tongues. Amen. Speaking in tongues may be something you're not familiar with. It may be something that seems odd, but all it is is God talking and praying through you. How many of you think that God's prayers are going to be answered 100% of the time? 
How many of you want to know that you can ask prayers that 100% of the time will every single time be answered? Yeah. Just let the Holy Spirit pray through you. When I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave me the utterance. And I was as shocked as the man I prayed for. I was just praying away and all of a sudden, I don't know, this foreign phrase came up in my spirit. I began to speak it out. And I was just kind of thinking, what am I doing here? I don't, I don't know. And then I realized, man, I'm speaking in tongues. Glory to God. And when you speak in tongues, the Holy Spirit comes out. His presence wraps around you. He fills you with His glory. How many can testify to what I'm talking about? Oh, man, you'll never fear more close to God than you will when you're praying in tongues. Speaking in tongues is the good news, not the bad news. I want my experiences in the Christian realm to be consistent with the biblical pattern. And the biblical pattern is this. Speaking in tongues may not be the most important evidence, and it's certainly not the only evidence, but I believe with everything in me biblically, it is the initial evidence. How else will we know we've been filled? I don't know about you, but I don't want to get cheated out of anything from God. I want the full biblical experience. How many want that as well? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Prayer team, get ready. We're going to come by and we're going to do just what you read in the Word. Both cases or two of the several of them, they laid hands. We're just going to come by and pray and believe God. We're not giving you the Holy Spirit. All we're doing is joining our faith with yours and believing for Jesus to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now I'm going to talk a lot more about the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues in the weeks to come. This is a, a lengthy series that I'm doing so you don't want to miss and just take two messages and say that's enough because there's way more to unpack for weeks. If you're in here and you say, man, I, I want Pastor to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled and I want to speak in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. I want my prayer language too. Just raise your hand up. Raise it up. Nobody's going to embarrass you. All right, prayer team, those of you that are Spirit-filled, I want you to go to see, you see the hands. Keep holding them up. There's more of you. Maybe you're in here and you say, I haven't spoken tongues in a long time. I remember at one time I did, but frankly, it's been a while. I, I want to be refilled. I want my prayer language again. Would you raise your hand up? We're going to pray for you.